Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about the things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations for Life. Uh, This week, we're going to pick up where we left off from last time. If you happen to catch that episode, we began discussing how God reveals Himself to us in Scripture as our Heavenly Father. It's certainly not the only way in which God reveals Himself to us, but especially in the New Testament, it is one of the most often cited titles to the first person of the Trinity. Yeah, that was a really good discussion, and we touched on some bigger issues related to Scripture as revelation, that it isn't just words written down by men from their own heads, but that these words are actually God's revelation of Himself to us, which is important because, as we said, human beings are not at liberty to decide what parts of revelation we like and don't like, what parts we think we should change to suit our personal preferences or whatever. God is God, and He gets to be God, and He will be God. Amen. And yeah, and when we try to remake Him in our image or according to our ideas of who He should be, it invariably leads to disaster, <laughs> spiritually <laughs> and in the church and society at large. And so, whatever way God has chosen to reveal Himself, we need to recognize that as truth. <laughs> and in areas where this truth challenges us, or where it has been shadowed or obscured because of sin committed by us or against us. We need to see it as a place for us to grow and heal. Hmm. So I'm really eager today to keep this discussion going, but also to bring it down to a much more personal level. This is not theoretical stuff. This is very, this is just uh, impacts us at a gut level. And Hmm. as I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, today we're working on bringing together the big theological perspective, what we know to be true from God's word, and the personal rubber meets the road aspect of this. In real life, how do we go from believing the truth to living it, Mm, especially when there are emotional wounds that go along with it? Um, And this is very close to my heart. When I became a Christian at age 18 in college, I very much struggled with embracing God as Father in those early years of being a Christian because of how I was treated by my dad and because of the ways he wronged me. It was very hard to take God at His word in certain areas. It was pretty easy for me to connect with aspects of God that focused on His judgment against sin and His wrath. I felt like I understood that, but I didn't really because I didn't know the fullness of His character. I didn't understand that coexistent with God's hatred of sin and His mighty justice are His tenderness and His gentleness, His grace and mercy towards sinners who turn to Him. And as Psalm 103 verses 13 through 14 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Mm. And then in Luke, uh, Jesus tells a parable about the prodigal son. And in it, the father, who represents God, um, when the son returns, runs to him in this undignified, joyous way to meet the son who has metaphorically spit in his face, who has turned his back on him, who has wasted his money. He throws a party in celebration that his son, who was lost, is now found, is reunited with him. And these passages and many others throughout Scripture highlight God's compassion and his gentleness with our frailty and his mercy even after we turn from him and chase after sin. Mm. So his wrath is real, but when we're in Christ, that wrath has been poured out on Jesus. 
And we as believers are children of God. Amen. So we have to know the fullness of who God is, and we have to know and embrace all of Him. Amen. And same for me, Kathleen, as a young Christian, I assumed that, that God's attitude towards me was just like my earthly dad's. Uh, my earthly dad was, was just prone to bursts of anger, and he could be verbally abusive. So in my head, when, when I had you know, a quote-unquote good day with God, well, then I thought, well, God's happy with me today. And then when I had you know, bad days, whatever that even means, but what felt like a bad day to me, well, I thought, well, God's so disappointed in me. He must be just angry with me. And it wasn't until I discovered what it meant that God was self-sufficient. That means that God doesn't need anything or any one of us to be happy. That He's God. He's not dependent on me for His happiness. That He is happy in and of Himself because as God, He is completely and totally self-sufficient unlike us. And, you know, I found this in a book on theology, but quite frankly, it massively changed my my view of who God is and just set me free from feeling like God was, you know, that his mood was dependent on my performance. I didn't have to please him in that way anymore. I had spent my entire childhood trying to do things or not do things that would please my dad. And so that he wouldn't get angry with me and keep the peace in the home. And so this is a radically freeing message for me to realize that I don't have to do this with my Heavenly Father. He's not like my dad. He's not just sitting around waiting to get angry with me at any possible moment. And you know, to me, this just shows how vital it is and, and really how personally transforming it is to grow in knowing God. It will change our lives. You know, Augustine once said that every person has a God-shaped hole in their heart, which I think is a great way to express the human nature because of sin. But I would add to it that because every earthly father falls short as a result of sin, that every human being also has a father-shaped hole in their heart. And so I would just say if there's anyone out there who's longing for that father-shaped hole to be filled, that they need to know that it can be, be filled ultimately only by God Himself, who is our Heavenly Father. Mm, yeah, excellent points. Um, God is the ultimate Father. He's the originator of the name and the position. Um, as we talked about last time, He's the original. And so even though our fathers may have lied to us about what fatherhood is, you know, by their words or by their actions, you know, probably subtly, mm. and, and through that, by extension, who God is, they've given us a wrong picture of who God is, but the twisted copy cannot and does not pollute the original design. That means that our father's sins don't change who God is mm. um, and what he designed fatherhood to be, which is a reflection of his own character. Um, so what do we do with all this? If we know that God is our father and that, unfortunately, we are prone to reading our bad experiences into the Bible and what it reveals about God, how do we move forward? And I think a key place to start is simply the desire to grow in our faith. Often we don't know what we don't know. In other words, mm. we're stuck in a certain place and we don't even realize that there are possibilities for our Christian life that we've never dreamed of mm. because they've never been a part of our lives. We've never seen them played out. So we may think that we're doing about as good as we can do, you know, we're coasting along, <laughs> but we're not living out the joy and the responsibilities of the life that God has called us to. Jesus says in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
And this abundant life that Jesus promises, which is not the prosperity message, even mm. though they often hijack this passage and twist it to their own ends, this is rooted in happy relationship with God, and it overflows in relationship with his people and his many blessings of fruitful, meaningful, and joyful human work and flourishing. Um, and, and that's something that we want to be living in, living in and uh, the fruit of that overflowing from that. Amen. Yeah. And, um, and this is where Christian community comes in. So fellowshipping with other believers, especially those who are more mature than me, expands my horizons, expands my holy imagination uh, about what is possible in my own life. Mm. So it helps me to see new to me aspects of Christian life and maturity and growth and sanctification, including ways in which I don't even haven't even realized that I needed to grow. Mm. And, and this requires being open to God's word, being with and learning from older believers, both from, both from their words and their lives, and letting that shine a light in my own life. You know, Paul says to imitate him as he imitates Christ, and I would say take that mm. in the most robust, holistic sense. Take that as learning from the whole person. Integrate your faith. Uh, and let it inform and convict and encourage and empower and change every corner of your life. Amen. Which is, again, uh, we'll get to this in a minute, why it's so important that church, ha- if you want to change, it's not just you and the Bible. You need to yeah. see God's Word and, and faith coming alive in other people, and that's going to open your mind to what's possible in your own life. Because as you said, you, you know, we, can't, we don't know what we don't know. We can't see what we can't see. And so as we're around other people, it, it can blow our minds. Like, wow, I didn't even see that in myself, that, that, I, that there's this possibility out there for me to have peace or whatever it might look like. But I can do it because I can see this other real normal person doing that or having that kind of a marriage or having reconciled with a, a, a parent or a friend or what. I mean, we can't do that apart from real relationships in the church. And, you know, Kathleen, just to expand upon your last point about learning to integrate our faith into all areas of our life, this holistic approach, I would say that part of this process means I think that we need to change uh, our idea of what sanctification looks like. Quite frankly, it doesn't help that, uh, you know, it's it's a great word from Scripture, and of course it originally comes from the Greek, and that's even rooted in the Old Testament, but it doesn't help that in English it's a strange word. Probably you never heard that word until you became a Christian, if you're like me. And so when you when you throw that word around there, it just sounds automatic. To me, it creates visions of you know medieval European monks in their monasteries, uh, Monty Python, you know, banging their heads on, on on books, or it evokes images of of incense and funny hats. But but in 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 the the biblical image of sanctification is is it's about our whole life. So it's it's a word that's all about the everyday full orb human life of the flesh. Our emotions, food, relationships, work, entertainment, it's all of us becoming more and more like Jesus. And one book that helped me really expand my vision of what sanctification looks like in this regard is, and and one that I heartily recommend to folks out there, is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I want to read a brief excerpt from it because I think it's so good. And what it is, is in this excerpt, the author who's, who's been, uh, at this point in the, in the story, he's been a, a pastor for quite a while, successful church, but just something isn't right in his, in his life, in his marriage. And here in this excerpt, he describes what was for him a wake-up call. Um, here, here's how it goes. He says, Very, very few people emerge out of their families of origin emotionally whole or mature. 
In my early years of ministry, I believed that the power of Christ could break any curse, so I barely gave any thought to how the home I'd left long ago might still be shaping me. After all, didn't Paul teach in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that when you become a Christian, old things pass away and all things become new? But one thing I've learned after 30 years of working closely with families is this. Your family, like mine, is also marked by the consequences of the disobedience of our first parents, as described in Genesis 3. Shame, secrets, lies, betrayals, relationship breakdowns, disappointments, and unresolved longings for unconditional love lie beneath the veneer of even the most respectable families. That's such a great line. For the first 17 years as a devoted follower of Christ, however, the emotional aspects of my humanity remained largely untouched. They were rarely talked about in Sunday school classes, small groups, or any church leadership settings. In fact, the spirituality of most current discipleship models often only adds an additional protective layer against people growing up emotionally. Mm, When people have authentic spiritual experiences such as worship, prayer, Bible studies, and fellowship, they mistakenly believe they are doing fine, even if their relational life is fractured and their interior world is disordered. Their apparent, quote, progress then provides a spiritual reason for not doing the hard work of maturing. So good. They are deceived. I know I lived that way for almost 17 years because of the spiritual growth in certain areas of my life and in those around me. I ignored the glaring signs of emotional immaturity that were everywhere in and around me. In our more, in our more honest moments, most of us will admit that much like an iceberg, we are made up of deep layers that exist well beneath our day-to-day awareness. Only about 10% of an iceberg is visible. This 10% represents the ways we conduct ourselves and the changes we make that others can see. We are nicer people, we are more respectful, we attend church and participate regularly. We, quote, clean up our lives somewhat by addressing any issues with alcohol and drugs and foul language, illicit behavior and beyond. We begin to pray and share Christ with others, but the roots of who we are continue unchanged and unmoved. Contemporary spiritual formation and discipleship models address some of that 90% below the surface. The problem is that a large portion remains untouched by Jesus Christ until there is a serious engagement with what I call emotionally healthy spirituality. Now, I can't recommend this whole, this whole book enough. It's so good because I think he's exactly right. That even though we are well-meaning in our Bible studies and our worship services and so forth, that there's a certain inertia within evangelical culture that masquerades as true Christian maturity, but in fact, it's superficial. It's only as we begin to integrate our whole selves into our faith life, into the process of sanctification, that we can truly say that we're growing as God desires us to. Yeah, and that was Pete Scazzaro with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And mm. we'll, uh, we'll put a link to that on our webpage. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, actually, as, as you were reading that, I was just uh, noticing some family systems elements in there. You know what he's saying? Oh, absolutely. That, uh, recognizing that he'd never thought about how his family of origin affected him uh, in his formative years and was still affecting him now uh, was really a big component of who he was, but it was completely beneath 
the surface of the water, so to speak, is that 90% mm. of the iceberg that he wasn't even aware of. And yet it was influencing him. And of course, we don't want to have things uh, influencing who we are. We're not aware of them. Right. At least, you know, not, not something like that. And so uh, that's another great point that as we're thinking about uh, looking, looking at how our own experience with our earthly fathers affects how we see our heavenly father, mm. we need to think about the system of the family that we grew up in. Yeah, and, and, and the part I didn't read in that story is he actually talks about his, his, his family and specifically about his father. I left that out for, for sake of brevity, but, but you know, read the book. It's all in <laughs> that's there. It's still pretty long. <laughs> I know. It's all in there. It's but great, yeah, it's great stuff. You can't read the whole book, but that's definitely something to read. But yeah, just thinking about what sort of uh, roles and rules, uh, unspoken um, ideas were prevalent in your family and shaped who you were mm. and who you are now that you're still following in some way. That's very key. Um, but, and yeah, I love this quote and I love, I love the, the parts about, you know, how even what you said, Jonathan, about how there's this, there's this inertia within evangelical culture that masquerades as true Christian maturity, but it's actually superficial mm. and it can even uh, cover up our immaturity and keep it like it, it kind of enables us to continue in our immaturity because mm. we're not going deep enough for anyone to see what's what who we truly are. And um, I think what's interesting about this is that in this passage, it kind of sounds like just he's just diagnosing the problem. And of course, he goes into more detail in the book. But really, the solution is in here too because um, the solution is is real relationships with God and with our Christian family. Mm. And that may sound kind of circular. You know, the way to know and embrace God as he has revealed himself is to have a deepening relationship with him. And it is, but it's true. And I think we can think of it more as a spiral. Bit by bit, the more we pursue genuine, uncovered, the walls are let down relationships, the more we get at that 90% of the iceberg that's usually underwater. And, um, you know, like, like molecules colliding in a solution with real relationships, we bump into each other. We have to interact. Oh. And as you always say, Jonathan, sanctification doesn't happen at its fullest in isolation. It's good to sit quietly in our room and pray and read scripture. That's essential. Uh, we need that. But it's also pretty easy, right? It, it's when we have to get out there and be led by the Holy Spirit and interacting with other sinners like ourselves, that's when real change happens. Mm. Yeah, and when you know, with the whole iceberg analogy, it's a great analogy because I, th- you know, I imagine church is just full of icebergs. Where and, and and this is why you know people say, well, why don't people at church want to get together and why don't people know each other? There's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the deeper reasons, you know, we could talk about busyness and things, but one of the the deeper reasons that people use busyness to ma- to mask is the fact that when we don't really know each other, it's easy to only show people that 10%. And we can yeah. make that 10% look really good. You know, that, that 10% could be the most radical, awesomest Bible posting on Instagram, Christian ever. And that 90% though is just rotten or or dying or is just full of of areas of our lives where we're not integrating our faith. But at church, you know, when we just see that 10%, we go, oh, it's it, everything's are great. And so one of the things that, you know, I think pushes people away from authentic relationships, we don't want to say it, is just that we really don't want that 90% to come out. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and yet that is where true freedom as, as believers lies, is, is being able to be authentically real with one another. And, and, and bringing all of our life under sanctification means, as, as believers in Christ, all together doing that. 
um, so that we can pray for one another and encourage one another. And, and it doesn't have to only be, you know, the prayers of help me be a more loving person. It can be prayers, you know, help me, um, here's my, my bank account and help me, you know, with, with this aspect of my life. Or here's my, my, you know, I'm trying to take better care of my body and, and, you know, here's my cholesterol level and you guys hold me accountable and pray for me. I mean, those are little things, but the point is like all of that comes under the realm of growing in Christ and certainly aspects of our families growing up and our relational dynamics and those systems that there are, are under the surface. Uh, you know, seeing all those things and, and praying for one another is, is so vital to our faith. Yeah. And, and this is the stuff we've just been talking about, this emotionally healthy spirituality. That applies to everybody, whether you know, you've had a difficult um, relationship with your father or whether it's um, difficult for you to approach God as father mm. or not. Um, so you know, in a sense, that's for everyone. That's for, yeah. that's for all of us. That's just that's Christian living. It's just dealing um, with our sinful nature and brokenness. Right, right. But it's especially relevant because this is what, this is what you do to overcome uh, specific issues or challenges in your life. Hmm. So, um, and I do want to say that we, we do want to recognize the hard-won nature of our growth, too. When we become Christians, some things change immediately, and hmm. some things take time. So you may immediately believe that God is a good, just, loving Father, and you want to embrace that, but that can take time. It may be a matter of obedience and faithfulness to call God Father mm. for, for, for a time. And that's not falseness or pretense. It's a matter of orienting our hearts and desires towards something true until it becomes natural. Mm. So think about an athlete or anyone training for a physical endeavor. What do you do constantly between games or races or competitions? Or if you're, you're a musician, what do you do extensively before performances? You practice. You practice, practice, practice. You do it over and over again in an artificial setting to develop the muscle memory and just the skill that will enable you to do it right when it's the real thing. So think of this as mental memory or desire memory, maybe. The more you grab hold of the truth about who God is, and you're actually developing and strengthening neural pathways in your brain when you're doing this, mm. but, but by intentionally choosing to believe God, the more naturally you'll trust and embrace Him with joy. So you'll actually shape yourself to be the kind of person that you want to be. And I do want to add, too, that if you've experienced some level of abuse or trauma at the hands of your father or anyone else, I highly recommend seeing a counselor. A counselor who um, both knows and loves the Word of God and has drawn wisdom from the best of what psychology can offer has the tools to address the intricacies of those experiences and the mark that they left. They can help you deal with the wounds of those experiences and move down a path of healing. They can also help you establish new dynamics in your past relationships and even more so in the current relationships that you're building now. Hmm. And the thing is that trauma alters the brain. It alters its physical structure and its connections. But the amazing thing, and this accords with Scripture's declaration that we're a new creation, is um, the neuroscience shows that the brain can be rewired. It can structurally change through therapy, through new experiences and relationships. So there's, there's great hope there. Yeah, and when I think about my own early years as a believer, you know, God was doing a lot in my life to change me, and it was a painful process. You know, perhaps things are different now, but for me, back then, there was no one recommending to me that I go see a counselor. And I think, you know, I got there eventually, I think, in my own life with healing and with growth and putting things together. 
But if I could do it over again, I really wish that I had been directed to a Christian counselor because I probably could have avoided a lot of the mess and the pain along the way. And so, you know, let me just encourage if that's you out there. Um, I view counseling as a way of sort of doing, a, even at the best of times, as a heart checkup. All of us, I think, can, can benefit from counseling from time to time. But definitely, if you're a younger believer or a person who's dealing with trauma or any kind of area of your, your personal life, your emotional life, relational life, that you know this, this, this isn't right and I want to grow in this area, but I can't do it on my own. Um, you know, go to your pastor first, of course, your, your, your church friends, but, but definitely seek the advice and counsel of them towards maybe finding a good Christian counselor. What's, you know, bringing this up with regard to your pastor and, and your, your church communities, I do want to talk, the other aspect of this whole idea of sanctification and integrating our faith into every area of life, and that helps us grow um, and, and face and integrate uh, from our past and emotionally healthy spirituality, I, I do want to say that your church community, your faith community is really important in that process. And the kind of faith community that you belong to is going to either help you or hinder you in your Christian growth. And so I do want to spend just a minute talking about a few things, a few criteria that I would look for to find a church that is going to encourage me toward emotionally healthy spirituality. And one is the ministries of the church themselves. All, you know, the Sunday morning service, Sunday school classes, small groups, you know, focus on, are they focused on Scripture? When the pastor preaches, uh, is the focus on what Scripture says. You know, if you can't walk away feeling like you understand the meaning of a Bible passage better and are able to apply it in, in multifaceted ways in your life through how you think and you feel and, and what you do, then I would say you're probably not going to be as stimulated in your growth. And that's because at the end of the day, it's how we encounter God in His Word, how we encounter truth that shines the light on the falsehoods in our hearts, in our past, and around us today. And it's that light of truth that's going to motivate us to grow. And so I would say, first of all, is certainly be a part of a faith community where the Word is the center of all the ministries of the church. And the second thing I would say that a criteria I would look for are the people of the church, especially that core group. You know, the folks you can tell, these are the core leaders and the core group of the church. Do they exhibit emotional and relational well-being along with their claim to faith and knowledge? And some ways that you might see that expressed are, well, first of all, is there a lack of major controversy or division in the church? You know, conflict is one of those areas where people's genuine maturity comes out. And, you know, the conflict might be about, quote-unquote, doctrine or something else. And But at the end of the day, how we handle conflict as, as believers reveals a lot about our, our maturity. And so I would say that a church without major controversy or division is not a church without conflict, but it's a church whose leadership knows how to address conflict because they've pursued um, emotional and relational maturity as part of their sanctification. Um, another thing to look for in terms of the people of the church is distributive leadership power in the church. If individuals in the church cling to power and there's a lot of gossiping and scheming and political maneuvering behind the scenes, these are patterns that are indicative of very low maturity. No matter how much knowledge a person claims to know, what denomination they belong to, I would encourage someone to stay away from a church like that. And then thirdly, with regard to the people of the church being emotionally mature, is are they transparent and authentic? Do the people 
when you go to Sunday morning or, or any kind of church event, do people feel free to be themselves and to share vulnerable areas of their life with one another? Family, marriage, money, health, and so on. Do people know one another? As I said earlier, we often use relational superficiality to cover up um, emotional and relational immaturity. And so you know, if your church community is one where people see each other and say hi on Sunday morning and they're just seeing that 10%, it's probably not a church that highly values integration of emotional and relational maturity into the sanctification process. Yeah, exactly. You know the tree by its fruit, uh, especially when it comes to power, like you talked about earlier. And I love what you said, how we use relational superficiality to cover over emotional immaturity. Because yeah, if we don't really know each other, if we're not really in each other's lives, we won't be challenged by our community to mature in those ways. Amen. And that's, you know, and let me just say everything I'm saying, you know, t- today on this episode, I- I've learned firsthand in my own life that these are things that I do want people to know. These are things that I have lived out in my own life and, and they are important to me. And I need these things just as much as everyone else does. And, yeah. and your pastor, wherever you are at church, if you're listening, your pastor needs these things too. Um, so aside from, from those two first criteria, uh, so just some additional criteria to look for in a church that's going to really encourage you in this way is, is are the pastor and the other leaders, do they talk openly and sincerely about their emotional life and their relational life in an integrative way with their faith? You know, whether they're teaching a Sunday school class or they're preaching or they're just talking about the vision for a ministry of the church, are these areas of life also coming into play within the church, within the life of the, the pastor and, and the elders? Um, and the next is, uh, are the pastor and the other leaders, do they have healthy marriages? Don't take the pastor's word for it either. Ask his wife, you know, look, you know, body language and just see, do they look like a healthy family? Um, do the families in, in the church, do, they, do, do you see evidence that there's health there and authenticity? And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about honesty, vibrancy, and, and pursuing health. Um, and the next is, uh, are the leadership of the church, are they actively supporting and encouraging members to make use of counseling services when a congregant's needs are beyond the normal ministry capabilities of the pastor or the church? You know, there, I think it's less common now, but there are some denominations and churches and, and leaderships that really still have this idea that you know you can pray a problem away. And while obviously prayer is a huge part of addressing any area that we're wrestling with in our life, counselors, especially Christian counselors, they've been trained to help you walk through areas of growth in your life that are specialized and, and that are beyond the usual ministries of the church. And so your, your, your church pastor and leadership should encourage people to seek that out. And then finally, when it comes to the last thing I would say is that when it comes to masculinity and fatherhood, which is what we're talking about today, are the men in the church, are they encouraged towards, toward humbled Christ-likeness, toward integrity, toward emotional well-being? Do the men in the church display emotion? Do they show soft hearts toward the Lord? And you know that can look all different kinds of ways based on the temperament of the person and whatnot, but you know we all get an idea what that looks like. But do they, and do they model in a, in a relative way aspects of fatherhood and masculinity that we see from God in Scripture. Yeah, those are excellent points. Um, the, the church community you join yourself with will have a huge impact on your growth and your trajectory. Mm. Uh, your own choices and what you pursue will as well. So the communal and the individual aspects are both yes. key here. 
Well, Kathleen, um, again, I just really enjoyed this conversation today, and and it's been awesome. Um, it's one that touches a lot of pain and brokenness, but I, I know that it also offers a lot of hope for people that uh, I want folks to know if they're believers that, that there is so much possible because God is at work in you, and He will see that work mm. complete. Amen. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is with us, and empowering us and encouraging us and helping us and Amen. there's no greater power in the universe Amen. so that, that there's great great hope um, for healing and for knowing God truly and experiencing the joy of that yeah. of that relationship with him you know so that's that's something that you can look to with real concrete hope amen um, yeah, and, and I hope that it also has helped you develop your framework for reading and interpreting Scripture, um, one that helps you know the truth and embrace it for your ultimate good. So as always, we do want to remind you that Conversations for Life is a podcast ministry of Cross Life. Cross Life's mission is to equip and empower married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. And we're a ministry supported by people just like you, and you can find out more at www.crosslifetoday.org. And next week, we'll be talking about headship and submission within marriage, what the Bible does and doesn't say. Mm. So that is a uh, very... Easy topic. We'll have all your answers in 25 minutes or less, I promise. Right. We'll have it all figured out. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that it will be... It'll be great. Trying to offer some things that uh, don't just fall into a rut on either side of Those discussions, yeah. Yeah. So um, come back and join us then, and God bless. Bye-bye.